0: California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person. This is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. I host Phil. Sorry for getting a podcast out a little bit later than I normally do, but I was I had a busy weekend and I'm gonna talk about it because it's important. Um uh, Yeah, this is pretty big and I want to explain to you what was going on and I'm sure if you've been following on Instagram or seeing what's going on. Again, follow on Instagram. Uh, That's mostly where I post a lot of the updates, what's going on, videos, commentaries about news that comes out during the week. So if you want little snippets of commentary about what's going on during the week. Um, I like to post little videos of uh, just going through articles and breaking news as it comes out so you don't have to wait every week for commentary on what's going on in California or in the news in general. Uh, I like to post little videos there. That's where I post most of my content, mostly because, um, I don't know, I haven't been on Facebook in forever, Um, but I think Instagram is is a really cool tool. So, again, go to California Underground on Instagram, and there's a lot of videos and stuff that I post up there. And what's been going on this weekend was uh, my firm, if you didn't already know that I'm an attorney, uh, my firm this weekend has drafted a letter that has been sent to the local San Diego County Board of Supervisors as well as the Health and Human Services uh, here in the county. What the purpose of this letter was, was to go over not only the science and the data of what is going on here on the ground. And I don't wanna give away too much because a person who approached me about this uh, for attorney and client privileges, uh, we worked on it together. We got a lot of data, we got a lot of science, we got a lot of knowledge going on in this letter. It is a, a pretty exhaustive letter. It's about, a, about nine pages long, full of arguments and facts and data. Um, talking about what is going on here on the ground. And obviously, if you're here in San Diego County, you're seeing it in a lot of counties all over the state. You're starting to back off a lot of these very draconian measures. So all the stuff that maybe Gavin Newsom has been putting forward and saying you have to follow by this a lot. A couple of counties are starting to fall back. You know, Kern has fallen off. Um, uh, they've rescinded their order, uh, to an extent also Riverside is also in a unanimous vote, rescinded a lot of their stuff to make it less restrictive, including facial coverings, which has become a big concern for a lot of people, the facial coverings, the mandatory mask that you're, you're seeing everybody wear that you can't go in a business without a mask on, or you have, if you're out in public, uh, then you have to wear a mask. The rule here in San Diego County is that if you're older than the age of two you do have to wear some sort of facial covering some sort of mask um, so we went into the you know, science the data what really is going on here in san diego county i'm going to post a link for you to view uh, so you can check out the letter and you can read it for yourself i'm going to post that in the show notes uh, there will be the link to view the letter in its entirety so the crazy thing i want to tell you about this and this is the power of social media and grassroots. And I really want to thank um, Brittany who runs the Rooted uh, Wings Instagram account. She was really, really instrumental in getting the word out about this. I was able to message her, tell her I was writing or we were writing this letter that we wanted to send to the board of supervisors as well as the health and human services detailing this because we had seen success in other counties like Kern County, we had seen letters with these uh, similar type of arguments telling the board that what you're doing is not constitutional, nor is it even authorized under California law. So I was able to reach out to her. She did an incredible job pushing it hardcore all weekend. And the minute she posted it on her page, I started to get emails of people who just wanted to support this. I'm still getting emails right now. As of this recording, people are still emailing, asking to be a part of this letter. I did have to cut it off because we did have to actually finalize the letter, get it out. It was emailed out to two. uh, First, it was emailed out to two supervisors, Jim Desmond and Kristen Gaspar, who are two outspoken uh, critics of what is going on. They do want to get what, they do want to get the economy reopened. They want to get things back to normal. Jim Desmond specifically has been doing an incredible job trying to push uh, to get us reopened. He understands more than anybody, I think, in San Diego government right now. Maybe Mayor Faulkner. I think Mayor Faulkner is doing a really good job. They understand that there is an economic, uh, there's going to be an economic calamity uh, and almost human death toll if we don't start reopening that people are struggling out there and that people need to get back to work. They need to reopen their businesses and they need to get back to their livelihoods. Now, there's always going to be safety precautions in place. People are going to have to be a little bit safer. They have to be a little bit more mindful of what's going on. But right now, what's going on with all these small businesses that are being still shut down, I know we're in phase two and they say we're going to move into phase three pretty soon. You're starting to see counties, specifically up in the state of Jefferson, they're starting to open up just full bore. They're just, you know, pedal to the metal. We don't care. We're not listening to you. There's, there were hardly any cases up here. Um, not that many deaths. Some had no deaths. And they're just saying, look, it hasn't affected us. We're just going to open because there's no reason for us not to be open. One of those counties was Modoc. I think that's how it's pronounced. There's so many. If you didn't know, there's 58 counties in California. That's a lot of counties. And I could tell you probably the majority of Californians couldn't name more than maybe 10 of them because there is a lot. And a lot of these counties up there just said, look, we're reopening and we're not going to wait for the governor to give us the green light or, or, you know, take as long as he wants to going through these different phases Slowly but surely, we're not even going to ask for permission. We're just going we're just going for it. And I applaud them because they have the wherewithal to say, look, our county is way different than L.A. County and a small county like Modoc County is so different than L.A. County or San Diego County or Orange County or, or San Joaquin. County. They're all different. And that's the thing about California is that it is a wide swath. It's like a nation in and of itself. And all the counties are like little states represent almost like the United States, where there are counties that are very rural, uh, sparsely populated. People are very spread out and they didn't have a lot of coronavirus cases. And they're just stepping up and saying, look, we're just going to go. We're just we're going with it. And I haven't seen any pushback on a lot of these counties. I haven't seen Gavin Newsom say, you know, clamp down on a lot of these counties that are up there. I think he's basically said it's not worth the fight. To go after Modoc County or uh, what are some other ones? I'm thinking of like Inyo or like any of those counties up there. Yuma, is Yuma a County? I think Yuma is a county up there as well. Uh, but more counties, you're starting to see like Kern County is also kind of rescinding their orders. You're seeing Riverside has also done the same thing. They said, look, we need to get back to work. It, it's really time to start letting people live their livelihood and all the naysayers who say well we can't reopen at this point or that because we have we're not ready or we're getting an influx or you want to kill thousands of people Um, i think a lot of places are saying look that's not the facts on the ground and that's what our letter to the county board of supervisors as well as the health and human services was about it was the facts that there are number that we never really came close. And this is just San Diego County itself. So if you're in a, a different um, county and you're, you're a different county, you're not in San Diego County. This is just specifically San Diego County. Um, so as of May 8th, this is I'm going to start reading portions of it and I'm just going to kind of discuss what we were going for here. Um, So one part of the letter, we talk about how as of May 8th, 2020, a report 72 of the current 144 deaths. This was at the time of the writing, of course. Numbers do change here in San Diego County, Um, have been from nursing homes. And what the point is, is that the virus is heavily skewed towards older individuals with underlying conditions, which we knew about that and that healthy individuals face a much lower risk than the more vulnerable population. Um, the county has enacted orders that deem all healthy individuals as potentially sick, and therefore everyone must wear a mask when within six feet of anyone else or entering any business. Instead of protecting those most vulnerable who account for half of all the deaths in San Diego County due to COVID-19, the county spent time and effort shipping beds to hospitals, including Palomar Healthcare and Escondido, where over 200 beds remain unused and non-operable on two floors that were never built out. Um, so it goes into more about how a lot of this will, and you're, you see this extrapolated in, across the entire country. You've seen this. New York asked for thousands of ventilators. They asked for field hospitals. They asked for the U.S. Uh, US comfort, um, the Navy ship that was a hospital to come in. Um, even the Samaritan Purse showed up and set up a field hospital there in Central Park. And at, after it was all done, they maybe they're saying, "Well, it's a good thing we overreacted, because what if it, that we were really prepared for what it was?" But the truth was that it what there's a lot of these field hospitals that closed down at the expense of millions of dollars of taxpayers, and that that they didn't even see a single patient. And you're seeing this across the country that a lot of these models, a lot of these predictions. That people were expecting two million dead, you know that was the number at the beginning. We're going to see two million dead, and I, and I mentioned this before. A doctor once told me that there are going to be two million dead. Someone you know is going to die from coronavirus. Just accept it. Just just come to grips with the fact that someone you know, and of course, ever if you are someone who has lost someone to coronavirus, our hearts go out to you. But hit what I'm saying is his statement. Is was this idea that there were going to be so many people who died from this, that there's a good chance that you would know somebody, that you would personally know somebody. Uh, the numbers obviously are a lot lower than that. The beds that were ordered are now a lot lower. We're starting to see a lot of these hospitals that were shut down and specifically forced to focus on coronavirus preparedness are now in financial trouble. Because they can't go back to a lot of the revenue making services that they do provide, such as uh, elective surgeries. That's a huge money maker for hospitals. And now, uh, yes, they've been able to go back, but there's a lot of other services that are not being um, allowed to open, or people are too scared to go back now. Pediatrics is another one that at this point, hospitals are, are, are struggling. So a lot of people are saying, we can't open the economy because we can't overwhelm the hospitals. But if we don't reopen the economy and let hospitals get back to normal, there's a lot of there's a potential that hospitals are going to start shutting down. So you're sort of in this catch twenty two if you can't stay locked down forever because the hospitals are not equipped financially to only just be sitting around waiting for coronavirus. Um, and if you want to put your tinfoil hat on, does that mean? Does that have a corollary with what's going on? Why are there so many people who have been listed as coronavirus uh, or having having passed away from coronavirus is because you do get a payout from Medicare. That is in the CARES Act that if you do report a coronavirus death, you do get money from the federal government. And this right now, I, I can't blame the hospitals for doing this. They are this. Their only revenue maker right now is coronavirus and anything related to coronavirus. So of course they're going to try and pad their numbers or, or help their books by increasing the amount of people who they list as coronavirus. Uh, but with that said, there is a lot in this letter. Um, I wouldn't really talk about what is going on with the constitutional argument. Um, like I said, there's graphs in here talking about projected hospitalizations. Um, so as we, let's see projected hospitalization. This is a good graph. It shows you about that the historical bed occupancy is 50% and where we are correct right now is at May 6th. We're still at 50% um, that we haven't really hit anywhere close to full capacity. Um, I'm I'm just trying to read everything. Again, I will post this so that you can see and read this whole, I don't want to read all nine pages to you you because there's a lot of other stuff that I want to get to in this show, but I want to pull out some of the interesting facts that were presented here. One of the interesting things that we did want to talk about was this mandatory mask. And obviously, there's a lot of confusion about what's going on with the mask. And again, I'm not a healthcare worker. I'm an attorney. I'm just reiterating the data that was given to me and the argument that was given to me was whether or not coronavirus is spread as an airborne or is it spread by droplets now what that and right now there is a belief that is it's it spread through the air or it's spread through droplets and that staying within six feet droplets tend to drop to the ground obviously because of the the gravity that's going on and the amount uh, it, and whether it's airborne and whether the mass really helps um, So at this part of the letter, it says, while cloth and surgical masks are somewhat effective at limiting respiratory droplets, science shows they're nearly useless at filtering microscopic aerosols. They also increase risk by making people touch their faces more often and give a false sense of security. This is well documented for these reasons. Respirators and face shields are used uh, for frontline workers and why the public has traditionally not been required to wear inadequate coverings. Even a simple cough study of infecting patients show they do not contain the virus. Uh, is my understanding that hospitals in San Diego County are directed by public health to use airborne contact precautions on suspected COVID-19 patients currently if true why is the county pushing mandates that assume it to be droplet based hmm at that point we start to get into the constitutionality of the order Um, and there's some arguments in here that I want to get into and again read the letter because this is this is the law this is these this was researched Um, I did the research and I researched these cases and I researched against the statutes and these are the arguments. So when you want people want to say, you know, your rights aren't being infringed upon, you can actually pull up this letter and say, look, these are the arguments, the legal constitutional arguments as to why a lot of this is unconstitutional. So I'm going to read a little bit of it. Uh, The current order takes its authority from Division 105 of the Health and Safety Code regarding communicable disease prevention and control. Specifically, this order states its authority comes from Sections 101.040, 102.175, and 120.175.5. The powers under this division allow health officials to take measures to prevent the spread of communicable diseases, but not without constitutional limits. It is our concern that the county has taken measures that arbitrarily affect the rights of its citizens and their businesses. The order relies on the authority in 120175 that states the health officer, quote, shall take measures as may be necessary to prevent the spread of the disease of or occurrence of additional cases, end quote. What is necessary is the ultimate question. While Division 105 does grant the authority to quarantine infected or possibly infected individuals, it does not grant the authority to quarantine the entire county along with the healthy individuals in place. Absent the local health officer's finding that an individual has the disease or is likely to have the disease, California law does not give the state or a county, including the county health official, broad authority to quarantine. San Diego County has ordered that violation of this order is "quote subject to fine, imprisonment, or both." End quote. However, one section one two zero one seven five requires that notice be given prior to enforcing a quarantine order, and one two one or one two zero one zero five requires that a minimum such notice be given by certified mail or registered mail signed by the person served. This did not happen as the order was only posted on the website of the san diego county government what is more pressing is the infringement of citizens civil liberties health and safety related statutes, and orders by the governor do not grant unlimited power in overriding one's civil liberties in a leading case from the california supreme court the court interpreted the emergency services act and held, quote, thus, the Emergency Services Act makes clear that in situations of extreme peril to the public welfare, the state may exercise its sovereign authority to the fullest extent possible, here's the big part, consistent with individual rights and liberties, and that's a California Supreme Court case. Whole cloth quarantines are only acceptable if they have a valid reason to believe that certain areas and people are infected. To quarantine every individual in the county without knowing whether these individuals are truly infected goes beyond the authority granted by California law. Um, And then I talk about First Amendment, uh, closing that place, free exercise of religion, uh, rights to peaceably assemble, which we have seen. Um, This part is about the Fifth Amendment. By forcing, quote, non-essential businesses to remain closed, the order violates the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. The Fifth Amendment guarantees the right to property without deprivation by due process of law, and obligates the government to compensate any such taking. This order deprives citizens of the right to earn a living by forcing them to close their businesses. This taking with, was without due process, without compensation from either state or county government, and clearly infringes on the free market of commerce. However, the order does pick winners and losers by deeming some businesses essential and others non-essential. Uh, And this is really more about the mass, the order stay at home requirement as well as requirement to wear facial coverings in public or face public punishment infringes upon our fundamental freedom of movement. Uh, um, The order as stands is overbroad and unduly burdensome on San Diego County citizens. Regarding the order mandating facial coverings, the county shows no compelling state interest for the justification of the requirement. It was not too long ago that the Surgeon General was telling Americans to stop purchasing masks because it would cause you more harm. Further, without the requirement to wear the most protective mask, the mask can offer little to no protection from the spread of COVID-19. With such contradictory and little to no supporting evidence that facial coverings protect individuals, the order is not narrowly tailored, does not pose a compelling state interest to protect individuals from COVID-19, is unduly burdensome to citizens to wear in public and in businesses, and is not immediately necessary to prevent the spread. Further on the issue of free movement of citizens who should not be in quarantine, our own California constitution states under article one, section one, all people are by nature free and independent and have inalienable rights. Among these are enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing and protecting property and pursuing and obtaining safety, happiness, and privacy. This is not a mere, merely a reiteration, reiteration of a truism. But rather a positive protection against the government's interference with these enumerated rights. In the words of California Chief Justice Hugh Murray, this section, quote, was not lightly incorporated into the Constitution of the state as one of the political dogmas designed to tickle the popular ear and convey no substantial meaning or idea, but as one of those fundamental principles of enlightened government, without a rigorous observance of which there could be neither. Liberty, nor to the safety, uh, nor safety to the citizen. End quote. We are certain that as public official, it is your desire to uphold your oath by defending and protecting the Constitution of the state as well as the United States. We ask you that you continue to defend those rights even under this present public health threat. Uh, and then we go on to thank the, them for their work. But that is the crux of the letter. And that's one of the reasons why I was so busy this weekend and did not get a Episode out, and one of the interesting things was, like I said, it started as a small spark. Literally, it started as a small spark, and reached out to a couple people on social media, and all of a sudden, it exploded. And now we're starting to see a lot of people who are jumping behind this letter. They're jumping behind these efforts. People are trying to force, and, and and they're doing a good job of making their voices heard to their local officials to say, look, it's time to let us out. It's time to let us go back to work. At what point, what difference does it make if it's today or tomorrow or next week or next month? And I I liken this to when you're a little kid and you're or even as a big kid, as a big adult, that it's almost like when you go and you go swimming and you go to the end of a pool, And you you don't want to jump in because you're afraid it's going to be cold. So you stand at the edge of the pool and you don't want to jump in because you're afraid it's going to feel bad for a second because it's cold. But once you jump in and you get past that cold, it feels really good. That's where we're at right now is we are afraid to just say, okay, it's just time to open things up. It really is at this point to just just open things up because I don't see. And maybe someone can tell me, someone can explain to me. What is the logical reason that you can't let someone into a retail store? Okay. What's the logical reasoning and preventing it and slowly rolling this stuff out? If people are going to get sick and people are going to spread this, it's going to happen whether you slow it now or whether you slow it or or, or roll it out two weeks from now. And that's what I don't really seem to understand is if you just open things up and obviously there will be safety precautions and telling people and everything, everyone's going to be aware. They're all going to be on the edge of their seat, but slowing that, um, allowance of people to just go out and go back to what they're doing. Are you delaying the inevitable that there's going to be a spike? Are you saying that they will? Are you saying by slowing things down, you're preventing this spike, that you're preventing a surge in cases? I just don't really see the logical reasoning. And, and you walk down the street and you see all these retail shops and they're all sitting outside or they're sitting close to their front door and they have these big sneeze guards and stuff like that up. I don't really understand what the difference is. Okay. I don't understand what the difference is, is allowing people to just go in and do what they need to do in the retail store or just let them or this whole f- curbside pickup or, or anything like that. I don't seem to understand. But again, I'm not a scientist, so I don't really understand all the science behind it. But that's our letter. Uh, a little different opening today because didn't get to an out-of-the-gate monologue like I usually do. And I will post the link in Dropbox so you can view it. And like I said, now take these arguments, take this stuff. This is to be shared far and wide so that you can take these arguments that when people say, you know, stop whining about your constitutional rights being infringed upon, you can go to these cases, you can go to this law and say to them, um, actually this California Supreme court case says that we have these rights and California law says that you are allowed to quarantine infected people, but not trample on individual liberties. So when people start to say, who cares, stop whining uh, and you know, stop whining that you don't, you're you not allowed to go get a haircut, which to me is probably one of the most ignorant things that anybody could say is that people are protesting because they can't get a haircut. Who's protesting because they can't get a haircut? People are protesting for a lot of bigger reasons and they're boiling it down to the simplicity of, well, you can't go get a haircut. So stop whining and stop putting people at danger. Your rights aren't being trampled. Well, based on our findings and based on this letter, your rights are being trampled. Orders are farther, uh, more overbroad and overreaching than they should be. And it's time that officials know. And I think it's better if we do it on the county level. Gavin Newsom will never recognize what he's doing as unconstitutional or, for that matter fact, uh, California, California unconstitutional. Um, He's violating both constitutions at the same time. But I think that's why we have to press local leaders. You have to press your mayors. You have to press your county supervisors. And that's how you're going to really start to enact change. Every county is really going to have to fight their own battles to to get out of these restrictive stay-at-home orders, these face mask coverings that are not supported by science. I'm all for if it's supported by science. If you can show me the scientific reason. I'm all for it. But right now, no one's been really able to say, why do we need to be wearing masks? No one's really been able to say, it's almost like a precaution. Um, so again, that's what we that's what I was doing. Don't want to go too much into it. But that it's exciting, because I was blown away by the support. And if anyone listens to who, who got to sign the letter, I want to thank you. The support was incredible. I was blown away. I I was touched that so many people reached out to me, told me their stories of what they're going through. That was the most incredible thing was people were emailing me, thanking me to do this. And and I I was happy to do this. I'm happy to do this because I, I think everybody can chip in in their own way. I was happy to do this. I was excited to do this. And I'm glad I was able to speak on behalf of a lot of people who wanted their voices heard. And I hope that it makes some sort of positive change. I hope it wakes up a lot of these supervisors. I doubt someone like Nathan Fletcher will will back down. He, he's got an ego on him who believes that he's never wrong and everything he does is, is fantastic. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's not going to back down. But there's a good chance that there's a good majority. There's only five. Two I know are definitely in favor of you know easing restrictions and getting us back to some normalcy so you got two adventure there's probably say three i think diane jacobs is another one she's a county supervisor way out east um, in the second district so i would suppose she's probably also in favor of easing a lot of these restrictions so that's your majority That's really your majority right there. Nathan Fletcher will probably never back down. He likes the control. He likes to be power hungry and stuff like that. He can't back up what he's ordering based on science or facts or anything like that. And now he's being shown that he can't do, he he can't do what he's doing. It's unconstitutional. It's not backed by data or science. And um, I can't remember the fifth one. I think it's Gregory Cox is the, uh, he's the district, he's the chair. He's the county supervisor chair. Don't know how he would lean. I think he's, downtown in that area, but whatever. Speaking of Nathan Fletcher, his wife, uh, Lorena Gonzalez, who has said that she is a labor leader. um, We all know Lorena Gonzalez. She is the famous politician who got AB5 passed. And AB5 has been an absolute disaster for the California economy in terms of independent contractors. And it was a law that was created to go after Uber and Lyft and stuff like that. And in reality, it caught It was such a wide casting net; it caught a lot of different professions in it. And they had to start carving out exception after exception after exception. And I'm not going to lie. I think a lot of the uh, high end, you know, special interests that would have a lot of money, doctors, lawyers, they all got an exception carved out for them so they don't have to do this or be part of AB5. Um, But it's been an absolute disaster. And we've talked about it in other shows. She's come out and she's having a little feud with Elon Musk. And Elon Musk has been a open uh, vocal advocate that we start to reopen things and that our people's freedoms have been infringed upon. And now, based on sort of what has been going on in California, he's felt that he's not welcome anymore because he's speaking out. And so he's saying, well, I'm going to leave the state. Thank you very much. I'm going to Nevada or I'm going to Texas because I know that they're much more friendly to businesses and I'm out of here. And you have Lorena Gonzalez who basically, she tweeted, I'm not saying basically because she literally tweeted F Elon Musk. And this is a politician who wants to talk about decorum. And she's probably someone who talks about decorum and how the president is uncouth and he's unprofessional, he's unpresidential. But here she is swearing up a storm on Twitter through her official Twitter handle, telling a business owner, a prominent business owner here in California to basically go F off. And the, the, the replies to that tweet were all over the place, mostly people saying this is disgusting behavior, that. It's disgusting that you have an elected official who is cheering, cheering for a a large business like Tesla to leave the state of California to take all its workers and go somewhere else. Well, it's not going to take its workers. It's going to take the whole factory. The workers will still be here and they'll now be out of a job because people like Lorena Gonzalez and Lorena Gonzalez says she's a labor leader. Here's the thing. She is a labor leader. In the sense that she is enacting these laws, like AB5, to do one thing, to get more control and more people in unions, then those people start to give union dues. And then guess what? The unions turn around and then they start funding Democrats. It's not, follow the money. This has nothing to do with her belief that she's protecting workers or that she is somehow Uh, this Cesar Chavez, a modern day Cesar Chavez, standing up and saying, I'm fighting for the the rights of the workers. No, you're not. You're not fighting for the rights of the workers. You're fighting for the ability to get more people into unions and then the unions line your pockets so you guys never come out of power. Always follow the money. So Nathan Fletcher and Lorena, Lorena Gonzalez, obviously two people who here in San Diego, like to live in their own la la world of progressivism and leftism. And they just don't live by normal reality or facts. And speaking of things that are not in reality or uh, based on facts is Newsom has gone ahead in this week, has just come out in order that we will be a male in state. Now, I don't really understand what the point of this was, is California already, you already do mail in a lot of uh, ballots um, here in in California, but I think what he's doing is taking a cue from anti-Pelosi uh, that he wants to sort of start the trend of the whole, as California goes, so does the rest of the country. And one thing, let me just pull this up. I want to get this correct because I found numbers and I want to make sure I get this Correct. Um, and a new polling suggesting nearly two-thirds of voters believe there is fraud in U.S. elections and that a majority of those respondents saw mail-in ballots as they cause of fraud. Um, and this was all during, as Democrats are pushing for this mail-in voting among amid the coronavirus pandemic, because now what they're saying is it's not safe to go to these voting, uh, voting polling stations, even though you can stand in line at Trader Joe's six feet apart, you can stand in line at Home Depot. Uh, six feet apart, you can stay in light at Walmart six feet apart, but yet somehow, some way, they can't control polling stations, even though if you've ever been to a polling station, people are not packed into each other, packed in top of each other. You're usually letting only a certain amount of time that can actually fit within the polling station or be voting at that time or be waited on by someone. So already you have social distancing in the sense that you've limited the amount of people who go into these rooms and then the lines outside, well, you just have to let people know you got to be six feet apart. Problem solved. Um, So in a poll done by Public Opinion Strategies, and this was conducted May 1st to 4th, uh, 62% of voters believe there is fraud in the US elections. Of those, 32% believe that fraud occurs often, and an additional 30% of respondents believe fraud occurs sometimes during elections. a report, 50% of voters say they are concerned for the integrity of elections because of the ballots cast by mail, while 21% are worried about in-person ballots. In addition, safeguards to prevent potential fraud from mail-in ballots appear widely popular among voters. And according to the same survey, 84% support requiring signatures on mail ballots to match those on the file. 80% agree with requiring some form of identification to ensure voter eligibility. And 83% want an absolute deadline by election for all mail ballots. Um, And this is obviously during the whole push. So I'm not quite sure. Again, California already is a mail-in state. You can mail in a lot of your... So I'm not really sure what the, the push is... Besides, he wants the virtue signal and he wants to show anti-Pelosi what he's doing and that he hopes that the rest of the countries, as California goes, the rest of the country so goes. But this is rife with fraud. A lot of this is rife with fraud. And I think I heard Dan Crenshaw say this and he, he summed it up perfectly. For a party that is obsessed with regulating every part of your life, every single part of your life. And more government overreach, and more government regulation, and more restrictions. Voting is the one thing that Democrats have no problem just taking the the reins off and letting anybody do what they want. You don't need an ID. You don't need to prove who you are. You can just come in and vote. Um, and it seems they have no. They, and it's all in the, in the vein of because of voter suppression, and they say it's racist to enact things like voter id because people in minority neighborhoods can't figure out how to go and get an id which i think sounds inherently racist to me if you say people in minority neighborhoods can't figure out how to get ids and maybe they're what they're implying is that they're too dumb to go get ids and that that's not me that's the democrats saying that um so i don't really understand Well, I mean, I do understand. Here I am saying I don't understand. I do understand. I do understand why they want less rules and regulations. It's obviously because they want to be able to get more ballots in for themselves. Cheating is a big thing. Fraud is a big thing. Look at what happened with Judicial Watch when it sued LA and found how many 1.5 million people on the voter rolls that needed to be shed. And what happens if those ballots go out? What if these people are passed away and these ballots just go out and they go out to these homes and it's a home and, you know, it's a whole Democratic family, but they get somebody's mail-in ballot. And what's the big deal? You know, we'll fill it. You know, Grandpa would have wanted to vote for this Democratic politician. He wouldn't wanted to vote for Joe Biden. How many people do that? How many people sign and just send it back in and it gets counted? It's a whole thing, and I don't want to get into it because it is a complicated topic. But mail-in ballots and mail-in voting is probably the next scheme to try and steal an election. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt this is the next scheme for them to try and steal an election, because if they force everyone to mail in their votes, who's going to keep track of how the integrity of all this? Who's going to keep track of how these are counted? how these are processed and how these are um, made sure that the people who are actually sending these in are the people who say they are. Uh, So one last thing, one last article that I did want to talk about. Let me pull it up right now. Article I've been wanting to get to, because I think it's a good article to talk about. Since we are headed, I mean, you know, since we are headed into just got out of got into phase two. Now we're heading into phase three, hopefully soon. It's time to start thinking about what California is going to look like after all of this. Um, so this is an article from the federalist. Again, I always post all the articles plus some supplementary articles that I thought were really interesting. Didn't get time to on the show. This is from the federalist headline. California's pandemic response will further enrich its elites at the expense of the working and middle class. Um, Perhaps nothing spells the triumph of California's progressive oligarchy more than Governor Gavin Newsom's decision to offload the state's recovery strategy to a task force co-chaired by hedge fund billionaire Tom Steyer. You remember him, right? He ran for president. Steyer uh, stands as a progressive funder. He is zealous as he is rich. Steyer sometimes even found the policies adopted by climate-obsessed former Governor Jerry Brown not extreme enough for his taste. Some conservatives wistfully hope that the pandemic will push the climate crusaders to the side. In California, at least, the corporate aristocrats, the governmental apparat, and the progressive nonprofits have the momentum to impose their ultra-green vision on the state's residents. Steyer may have had much of his fortune uh, made much of or may have made much of his fortune on fossil fuels, including coal. But now approvingly described as a reverent Christian, the Bay Area mogul seems to be eager to repent, both through his political largest and as the operator of a fulsomely organic ranch down the coast from a San Francisco man's. Steyer's failed self-funded presidential run was full of extreme notions, such as imposing a state of emergency to address climate issues, essentially shutting down fossil fuels and as a kind of bonus for those who still can't find work Promoting a 22 an hour minimum wage while offering alms for the soon to be eliminated legions of miners and energy workers. California's climate regulatory regime notes relocation expert Joe Varanich, I hope I said that right, whatever, has been particularly hard on manufacturing. Over the past decade, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics data, California has fallen in the bottom half of the states in manufacturing sector unemployment growth or employment growth. Ranking 44th last year, its industrial new job creation has been negative compared with gains from competitors such as Nevada, Kentucky, Michigan, and Florida. Even without adjusting for costs, no California metro ranks in the U.S. top 10 in terms of well-paying blue-collar jobs, but four metro areas, Ventura, Los Angeles, San Jose, and San Diego County sit amongst the bottom 10. This ultimate effort as virtue signaling will cost California as many as 300,000 generally high-paying jobs roughly held by minorities, and will particularly devastate the San Joaquin Valley, where 40,000 jobs depend on the industry. Imagine if the state dictated that the industry, entertainment industry be eliminated from Los Angeles or the tech industry be eliminated from Silicon Valley. That is what removing the oil and agriculture industries in Bakerfield is like. Quote, it is an existential threat to the entire area, end quote, says Rob Ball of the Kern County Council of Governments. In California today, anyone who dissents, even a scientist or a respected economist with the Green Party line, is dismissed as a heretic who is not worth listening to. This treatment is facilitated by a media that tends to embrace the most apocalyptic projections of, for example, coastal erosion, with little attempt to ascertain the facts or look at alternative analyses. The predictable, predictably pious Steyer and his fellow commissioners will no doubt claim devotion to the interests of average citizen. But as a new lawsuit filed by some 300 civil rights leaders assert, the policies being backed by Steyer and his fellow commissioners have already produced disastrous results for millions of Californians. The real collective badge of shame is not California's GHG emissions, but the prevalence of poverty amid enormous affluence. Even before the lockdowns, which could last until summer, California's cost adjusted poverty level was among the highest of any state and remained higher in 2019 than in 2007. Nearly one in five Californians, many who are working, lives in poverty using a cost of living adjusted poverty rate. The highest rate of any state, the Public Policy Institute of California estimates that another 20% live in near poverty, roughly 15 million people in total. The lack of upwardly mobile jobs has created poverty rates for California's Latinos and African-Americans, most of them working and has made them poorer than their counterparts elsewhere, including in Texas. California's primary competitor for talent jobs and company locations in a state with a similarly diverse population. More than half of all California Latino households, now a plurality in the state can barely pay their bills. According to United Way study for Latinos notes, longtime political consultant, Mike Madrid, the California dream is becoming an unattainable fantasy. Um, So even in the face of everything that is going on, if you're looking for common sense, economic policies, you're still not going to get it here in California. And we knew that. We knew that even getting out of this was not going to be... Getting out of this was going to be the first battle. That it's going to be a struggle. Get First, the struggle is getting out of this as fast as possible. The second struggle is to make sure people like Tom Steyer don't use this to force a progressive agenda or to help Gavin Newsom get his progressive wish list, which he has talked about, which we discussed in previous shows, where he feels like because of the coronavirus and because his surplus is wiped away, he's not going to get the progressive things on his wish list that he's been shooting for. And that's going to be the scariest thing is that you don't have someone in power right now who might be following the common sense of let's just get back to work. Let's try and balance our budget. Let's be fiscally responsible. Let's not get crazy. All those things that we wanted when times were good, we can't do them now because that would be the irresponsible thing to do. But I don't think California, I I think Californian, they think they're going to press forward with this. And I think they're going to press forward with this progressive ideal that we can change a lot of things. And we've talked about this Clower Pivot strategy where a a huge, enormous event that shakes the system and breaks the system may be what a lot of these progressives are looking for to change things they may break it to say okay well now we want to rebuild it in our progressive mindset when in reality if they don't reopen soon there's not going to be any money for them to uh, find uh, or, or follow their progressive mindset and this is another article California's post-corona challenges. And this was from, let me pull this up. Uh, well, this is from California Political Review. Um, California has at least at least to date escaped the worst effects of COVID-19, despite predictions by Governor Gavin Newsom that upward of 25 million Californians would become infected after six weeks of lockdown in the state, despite having twice as many residents of New York. Less thought has gone into how the aftermath of the pandemic could intensify over other long-term problems than the state that the state leadership would prefer to ignore. Most critical will be the effect of the virus on the state's already severe income inequality and poverty. So we're starting to see a, a theme here. And I've talked about this before. California, for as much as they love to tout, it is the fifth largest county, blah, 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 blah. It's still, if it was its own country, would be, I think, 17th in income inequality in the world. 17th. That's how bad. I think right around either ahead or behind Honduras. Um, The pandemic has disproportionately hurt poor and working class people, precisely those Californians already suffering under the state's strict regulatory regime. The huge but generally low paying tourism industry is particularly vulnerable to declines in travel, especially from Asia. Not all the pain will be felt by the working classes though. The pandemic is likely to stall or even derail some of the new IPOs that the state relies on for revenues. A reversal in real estate price inflation, another key source of state funding, also seems likely. California faces a likely scenario of falling revenues and soaring demand for government services. Uh, citing a series of annual budget surpluses, some progressives have argued that California developed a, quote, fiscally responsible form of sustainable capitalism. Yet, as even for the for former Governor Jerry Brown predicted, excuse me, whew, a lot of reading today. Jerry Brown predicted the state's Johnny OneNote tech economy would eventually stumble, reducing the huge returns on capital gains that remain critical of state revenues. Um, you know, like kicking Tesla out of of that area. That might be something that could hurt California's economy. Even before the coronavirus, this lapse seemed imminent, given the recent poor performance of tech IPOs and the $100 billion drop in the value of privately held unicorn startups. One scene is destined to become the next great source, a la Google and Facebook, of income for state coffers. Capital gain payments, which doubled last year to over $15 billion, can now drop by a large margin, as occurred in 2008, drilling a big hole in the budget. Coupled with a drop in revenue, expanding demand for services will prove catastrophic. More than two-thirds of Californian cities have no funds set aside for retiree, health care and other retirement expenses. The budgets of 12 of the 15 largest cities are in the red. The state overall owes $1 trillion in pension debt, notes former Democratic State Senator Joe Nation. Truth in accounting in 2019 placed California, despite the tech boom, 42nd in fiscal health among the states goes on to talk about CalPERS, which is catastrophically underwater. Um, The pressure on California's government resources is made much worse by a bifurcated economy that produces a disproportionate amount of poorly paid jobs. As manufacturing middle middle management jobs have fled the state, notes new research from Chapman University, Marshall Toplansky. The vast majority of all new jobs, some 80 percent, pay less than the medium income and roughly half of those pay under $40,000 annually, virtually a poverty income in the expense of coastal areas. Critically, California has been among the worst states in producing middle income jobs, while rivals such as Utah, Texas, Arizona, Nevada and Washington have boosted these kinds of positions at five to ten times California rate. Um, and it goes on to say restaurant retail will be hard hit by this pandemic, which is a lot of people working. Um shipping and trade and under the governorship of pat brown in the late 1950s and 60s california observed the late historian one-time state librarian kevin Starr enjoyed a quote golden age of consensus and achievement a founding era which california fashioned and celebrated itself as an emergent nation state end quote in 1971 the economist john kenneth galbraith described the state government as run by quote a proud competent civil service end quote and enjoying among Quote, the best school systems in the country. The competence is now rarely seen. For all its activism, California bloated nanny state, for example, showed a distinct lack of preparedness for a pandemic. Um, the pandemic is a wake-up call for California leaders. They need to start de- developing policies that address the chronic problems of poverty and lack of opportunity while keeping the public health in focus and protecting citizens from further outbreaks. And again, I repeat myself because I always like to stay true to my principles. California, for all its work, and a lot of people say it's the fifth largest economy and they love to brag about it. Gavin Newsom loved to brag about his huge surplus, which is now gone, which he's admitted and we talked about in previous shows, is now gone. I think that the California economy is fifth largest in spite of all of the regulatory issues that are placed upon businesses here in the state. And I say that because even with high incorporation fees, high uh, corporate taxes, high capital gains taxes, property taxes, um, state income tax, effectively pushing businesses and not being a business friendly State pushing these businesses out of California. California is shaking on a couple different things. It, it is a a tattered uh, collection. It's not a strong foundation. It is not a strong structure that is holding up the economy. And it's like Jenga. Right now, if you're taking t- technology out, the entire thing is going to start to fall. California used to be a booming economy. It used to be the envy of the entire country, had a thriving middle class. It was a land of opportunity where people had houses, and they made good money, and they could raise their kids here, but not so much anymore. And I think this is a chance for a lot of people in California to step up and wake up and say, if California was more like Texas, if California took on more pro-business initiatives and stopped worrying about taxing everyone to death, if California opened the floodgates. It got a lot of got r- uh, rid of a lot of the regulatory schemes that are here in this state. Who knows what kind of wealth and prosperity could go on in this state. And there may be more than enough money to actually I don't know, try those progressive ideals. Despite all the stuff. And I'm not saying I want you to try those progressive ideals, but I'm saying your state coffers may be more full. When you approach this as a pure business standpoint. Now, of course, Gavin Newsom's not gonna look at it like that. He's gonna go begging anti Pelosi for a trillion dollar bailout so he can get back his budget and get back a surplus and he can get back to going after his progressive wish list. He's not gonna step back and say, okay, maybe. It's time for me to balance the budget. Maybe it's time for me to end a lot of these regulatory schemes. Maybe it's time to lower taxes and stuff like that and really let California thrive after all this has happened. Maybe I should be more business friendly so we can get back on our feet faster. I doubt that will happen. Um, But with that, I'm going to end this show. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank everybody who showed support this past weekend for the letter. It's been emailed. It's been mailed out, certified mail. On its way to the county, it's been also sent to the mayor of San Diego. Um, so, again, if you want to follow on Instagram, California Underground, send in a voicemail, go to anchor.fm forward slash California Underground, read articles, California Underground. If you want to send an email, California Underground at ProtonMail.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.